This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Macho Black, Richie Crutch, Chrissy the Baboon. Post America Podcast, son. Download that shit, motherfucker. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Rich from Post America Podcast. I have with me today Armand from Sick of It All. What's up? Pretty good. You know how it is. I wanted to have you on because, you know, you guys, Sick of It All. Well, also, congratulations. A 31-year anniversary last week for uh, Blood, Sweat, No Tears, right? Yes, quite a while, huh? (laughs) 34 years as a band, too. It's crazy. That is crazy. Yo, Older than a lot of our fans. Yeah, and, and I wanted to know, when that first came out, how did like the older heads of the scene take it, the more traditional um, kind of, uh, style? I guys? think, you know, like we were kind of looked at uh, like a like the Cro-Mags protégés, I guess, to a degree, you know, yeah. because, yeah, I think so, a little bit, because there are so many like uh, E to F to D kind of progressions, and you know what I mean? Like, mm. and uh and Pete kind of looked like Harley a little bit. So there was like a lot of, uh, you know, the, the idea was that we were kind of following in the Chromax footsteps. Yeah. So was that a good thing or a bad thing? It was a good thing at the time because, uh, you know, the Chromax had such a good thing going at that point. Uh, even when we, even when we released Blood, Sweat, No Tears, I think the Chromax were still like a really up and running solid band but then they quickly kind of fell apart um after that just like in the the next few following years you know because of the problems within the band and everything but um you know that you know in in some ways that left it open for us you know to Mm. uh to fill that void yeah i could see that yeah i was wondered because you know i know like uh with the exception of the Cro-Mags and some other ones, a lot of the bands at the time were more, you know, that traditional old school, real close to punk, you know? I yeah, I think a, a lot of, um, yeah, and, and quite a few of the New York hardcore bands that had really established themselves right around that time, like the, the late 80s, early 90s, um, they, they uh, split up. And that really kind of opened things up for us and Madball. You know, because Madball had just started out, and uh, and you know, even Agnostic Front uh, did a it took a hiatus for a little while, and uh, weren't a really active band for a few years, and that was that kind of signaled the rise of Madball. So there there were like a few things that that happened that kind of like opened things up for us and Madball. Oh wow, yeah, I, I don't even. Yeah, when you when you think of that, I don't even like it, in my head. I I always feel like Madball came would would be a lot later, but I guess it really wasn't, huh? Oh no, they were like uh, with the the single came out. I think eighty nine or ninety, something like that. It might have maybe ninety one. I'm not sure, but but they they were pretty much like right there alongside us. Like when I think about the first European tours that we did, yeah, we would be on festivals. And Madball would be right there playing alongside of us, you know. And at that point, Freddie was still really young, but not 
so young that it was like, whoa, this is like, he's like a little kid. You know, he was like at that point, probably 16, 17 years old or something. And he kind of came across as uh, either just like a, I don't know, he kind of looked like a young adult. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I guess it would be around the same time. I just, I don't know why I didn't picture it like that. Like, uh, and, and you mentioned like doing the festivals and stuff, who would have been before you guys even doing like those big festivals in Europe, anybody well, that we, we would know, or I think in a lot of ways we were some of the first ones like us and Mabel were some of the first hardcore bands that ever play those, those kind of shows. Cause the, the, Hardcore bands that went to Europe before us, Agnostic Front did a couple of European tours, but they never did, never did a festival. Um, Youth of Today did, I think, one European tour, and Gorilla Biscuits did like maybe one or two European tours. But every single picture that I ever saw, and people back then were very excited to show the, the photos of the shows they had been to. And everybody was showing us pictures of the Youth of Today show and the Gorilla Biscuit show, and they're all in small clubs. I don't think any of those bands had actually bridged that gap between clubs and festival stages yet. So us and Madball, we, we were the ones like uh, making the step, as Mark M.A.D. would say. Was that was it due to Mark M.A.D.? Did he have some kind of connection? How did you guys get on? Totally, yeah. I, th- yeah. I think Mark, you know, Mark did a lot of really, really good things for the for the hardcore scene. Uh, you know, just taking taking hardcore into the public eye in a way that it had never been before. Because uh, you know, and actually, I, in an interview I did uh, yesterday, I was asked about what my most memorable moment in my career was, and I said that it was in '94. When we uh, when we first played at the Dynamo Fest in in Holland, and it was a you know the audience was seventy thousand people like it was literally from the stage wow. to the horizon was just people you know so uh, and I was rolled out on the drum riser and it just it was so surreal because it was like <laughs> taking hardcore to this place that it had never been before so you know that that was like a really memorable moment. Yeah, that's really cool. Did you guys have like a, like a, a, like something to prove a chip on your shoulder, knowing basically you're the only band to represent your whole genre on on these things in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, you know, we never really thought about it in such a serious way. We just were having fun doing it because, you know, we, we had no idea how the festival uh, environment would really. Uh, work for hardcore what you know because everybody always says like hardcore is best in small clubs and the most like intimate setting and all that but you play some of these festivals and you know from experience that it doesn't have to be a small club it could be this giant place and everybody's into it and it sounds great on stage and even if it's like outdoors or whatever it can all work depending on the way it all comes together. So there are no like limitations on the genre. You know, it's just uh, the dynamic between the band and the audience and how much everybody appreciates one another and, and how eager the people are to just have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I witnessed it a lot of times. And I remember some watching you guys on some big outdoor festivals and just crushing it. Like it was a club show, you know, in spirit, it just happened to be right. tens of thousands, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I know yeah. it's crazy how it could how, work. How it does work. I yeah. think it's the band and, and the songs, really. You know. Yeah, and it's you know sometimes you even find yourself uh, being on a fifteen foot stage with like a you know a barricade that goes like twenty feet away, but uh, still for some reason even those shows can really work in a in a decent way and like have you know everybody leave thinking it was a great event. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It, 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 it did. It, it is like this music is worthy of those things. There's no question. I've seen it. I witnessed it. And uh, yeah, you guys and Madball. And then eventually we would see a ton of hardcore bands taking those, those stages and playing right along with the metal bands holding their own. Yeah. I think w one of the things that really kind of uh, um, grabbed people's attention was the fact that hardcore has such energy you know what i mean so yeah. you have all of these other bands especially back then the, there were a lot of metal bands that were playing like really pretty mellow stuff so you would have a lot of mellow music you'd have like pop acts mixed in there too which was like almost like dance music and it was just not aggressive at all you know so when there would be a hardcore band san sandwiched in between like mellow metal and like pop music then the audience would sometimes like come alive and it would be the best set of the whole day yeah. <laughs> just because of the sheer energy of it. So, and, and, and that's what really kind of made hardcore blow up for as, you know, like in the way that it has in Europe is the fact that people have never been closed minded to it. They've always just appreciated the energy and appreciated the, the aggression of it. And didn't like just turn away because it's, oh, they're just screaming. You know, it wasn't like that ever. Yeah, they are definitely open-minded. And when you're talking about Europe and you're talking about, you know, touring, like, you know, why, one of the reasons I want to talk to you today is you, you guys are a full-time band. I mean, you are a professional, mm -hmm. real band that, that tours and writes albums for a living. Yeah. And did you ever foresee something like stopping you guys that wouldn't be you guys yourself just saying yeah we don't want to do it we won't but like this out this this crazy outside like uh this pandemic that just, just shut yeah. everyone down was this ever anything discussed like at all by you guys no you mean well we we never when we first started out nobody had the idea that it would become a career so when it became a career then we just you know rolled with it up until this point where, you know, like the, the rolling has just been put to a complete stop by the government and the world's governments. So, you know, uh, everybody's just uh, shocked by it because it's our livelihood. It's what we've done for our entire adult lives. And, and now it's just, you know, completely outlawed at this point. Yeah. That's basically what it is. Outlawed. That's a good word for yeah. it. And be you know you're more of an inside guy. You you this is your business. Do do you hear anything when when things may uh, loosen up when a tour may be possible? Anything like that? It's it's hard to say because you know we've already been through a few setbacks already where we thought maybe we could push things in the spring back to the fall, but then everybody started saying that there's absolutely no way any shows could happen in 2020. Uh, we still actually do have. Technically, we have a tour scheduled for Europe in November, but uh, 
that probably won't happen. Most likely won't happen, seeing as uh, there doesn't seem to be any real let up or you know easing of restrictions on on public gatherings the way a show would be. Uh, it's what's really stupid, I think, is the fact that you see actually being a musician listed in the last possible. Uh, professions to be allowed to uh, go back to business, you know, because I, I don't know why they lump musicians in with the audience members. Because sure, it makes no sense, you know, if you have a pandemic and and people are actually dying from this thing. Which are they really? But uh, uh, you know, if you have that situation, then uh, it makes sense for the audience members not to be, you know, crowded into a, a small space. The yeah. bands. You could, I mean, we very easily keep our, our distance from each other. We don't even have to be told to. We, we've been together for 34 years. We hardly even, like, hang out with each other. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And, and on stage, we're, we're never, like, all over each other the way, in a way that would be dangerous. So, you know, it's just uh, kind of odd that they lump musicians in with uh, people that would uh, be attending the shows in the same way it's really ridiculous yeah it is nuts and i heard today uh i guess the the border restrictions for canada are are extended they mentioned uh, and oh there's boy. i mean outside of uh asia and europe that that's probably the strongest markets for this kind of music is there anywhere else that's open now that they'd be like ah oh, since we can't go here or there maybe we'll try this any well i mean that? we I think we we would have actually been able to play shows in 2020 had Lou not gotten the flu right before uh, our South American tour because we were supposed to leave in in the it was like the second week of March we were uh, we had it all planned we were going to go to um, Mexico Costa Rica Colombia that's um, right yeah Chile Argentina and Brazil and we would have done that tour I think it would have actually happened because. Uh, coronavirus hadn't actually even affected South America yet at all. Mm -hmm. So leaving the States, we would have been in an area where there was no coronavirus. And uh, it, who's, to, who's to say we wouldn't have been quarantined on the way back in some way or, you know, had to suffer some kind of re-entry uh, thing. But uh, it, it, the only reason why we couldn't do it is because Lou actually got the flu so it, you know it, with all of the the hype going around about this pandemic that you know him actually having a fever uh we wouldn't have been allowed to enter any of these countries yeah that's true so is it the case that you guys haven't played a show this year not at all that last i show didn't realize that wow was in brooklyn in uh in december with af I didn't know that shit. That's crazy, man. I know you guys got to do the persistence store, right? Oh, we got so lucky. Yeah. With, because this wasn't yeah. even a thought during that time, you know? Right. Yeah, I know. And it's crazy to think that just that long ago, things were just normal life. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And now normal life may be, uh, uh, you know, ancient history. There's a new, I know. I know. Like, like how could they, how could they go on and, and, from the beginning, I said, what's this social dist distancing and mask wearing? What's it going to do if this is legitimate, if there's no vaccine? What's it like? Could they well, and the, the problem, the problem is there probably won't ever be a vaccine. So yeah. because 
up until this point, science hasn't developed a vaccine for any types of coronavirus. So what makes them think that just because COVID-19 is around that all of a sudden they'll magically come up with one? There's no way, you know? So obviously we kind of have to work around this. And you know what? It's like uh, at some point we have to return to normal. Even yeah, if we don't, don't have the benefit of, uh, of not like attempting normality because people, if this is legit, I always say if this is legit, cause I just don't know. Uh, one, yeah. one well, reputable I'm, I'm, expert will tell me one thing. Another reputable expert will tell me something completely different. So I, exactly. I assume, I don't know. Right. It's cause we're not scientists. I, I, I wish we were, you know, because the, yeah. it would help. But, it wouldn't uh, help, but I bet we could find a qualified guy that we look up to and he's telling us completely opposite of what we're seeing. It just seems like uh -huh. that's the case nowadays with everything. Everything is a battle for what's, what's right truth. and wrong. Yeah. I know. Battle get, for truth. Yeah. Totally. And I have no idea. I do know that from the beginning, I was skeptical of saying, okay, let's do a couple weeks of social distancing and then we'll get back to normal. And I'm thinking, well, wouldn't it just spike up again? You know, constantly right. spike up if, if it's a legit thing. So, but I mean, but, but, you know, at this point, we've kind of crossed into the area where they're not even talking about deaths anymore. They only talk about cases. So yeah. if people aren't dying and it's only people being afflicted by it, then why is it such a danger? You know, yeah. if nobody's actually dying and you look at the numbers of people that have died from this uh, virus compared to, say, swine flu or something like that. Like, you look back at some of these other numbers from, you know, like 2010 and 2009 or 2008 or whatever, and there was like eight and a half million people that died of the swine flu. That's but crazy. the world didn't, you know, go into lockdown the way, the way it has here. It, just in the States, where like, the, with the country with the biggest death toll, supposedly, from this virus, and it's mm. at 130, 130,000, compared to 8.5 million that died from a, uh, an, a very similar kind of virus, you know, a number of years ago that did not close the world down at all. So, like, what are we doing? Yeah, what do you think is, is the idea behind this? Like, is there... I mean, there, see, you, you know me, you know that I'm a total skeptic about anything that I hear on the news. I do not believe a word of it. I believe mm -hmm. that every, and basically I look at the, the media as a giant psyop, you know, mm -hmm. that's what it, everything is a psyop, a psychological operation, you know, where everything is some kind of manipulation to either get people to fall in line or to see how far they could push that idea or, or to just basically blind people to a certain thing uh, so that the secret agenda could be pushed through, you know? So, mm -hmm. or for, you know, certain people to make trillions and trillions of dollars somehow from one of these psyops, you know? So it's always like, uh, that's the way I look at the world. That's, and that's why I, I turn on the news every day sometimes, uh, you know, like just to add a pure sarcasm because I, I want to hear the bullshit. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's where my mind is. My mind has been there for, you know, ever since, uh, September 11th, 2001. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm it's been a while. <laughs> I love watching the news. I love going back and forth. 
uh, comparing, you know, you see all the agendas and this and that. This yep. is such a weird one just because I'm not quite sure who has the most to gain from this because, you know, usually the case is people mindlessly shopping and spending their money irrationally is a good thing for the people that we would call them or they. Yeah. Yeah. That's case, true. I don't, I don't really know what the hell's going on. It's, it's very, it's very weird. I know it's, it's a tough one to, to really see. I mean, to be honest, like I, I didn't, I didn't see the way September 11th played out until years later as, yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. I'm just using that as an example of the, the moment in time where I realized that uh, the media is, is like one big uh, conspiracy to lie to the people of the world to push certain agendas through. Yeah, the media really, it's, it's not reliable, that's for sure. But what, no. what, what could be an answer to that? Like at this point, you do you feel that it could ever be fixed? Is there a remedy for the media? I don't know. It's, it's weird because, you know, you look at like certain like grassroots things that you want to be grassroots. Like I would love if, if I could believe that Black Lives Matter was like a grassroots thing yeah. because it does seem like so many people are really into it and want to uh, have like a pure belief in something good. Uh, yeah. to bring about equality in this country and to, or, or even the world, you know? Um, but at this point, I believe that organization has been politicized to the point that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been hijacked essentially uh, to, to be a tool for the democratic party. You yeah. Know? Well, so Black Lives Matter. That's, that's, a tricky thing because just the words themselves yeah you won't get an argument out of me but could i back black lives matter as an organization i don't know because i didn't i don't i never looked at it as an organization but it became one yeah and exactly what, what are and their it, goals and what are their interests it, are they the same as mine i'm not too sure so i you know and, and it seemed like you know as soon as the media really started to push black lives matter is when it became an organization you know, yeah. In in that way, in, in a way that could have real political ramifications if they wanted it to, and they sure wanted to. So, uh, you know, it's it's a really tough thing for people that really honestly want to see real change going, uh, you know, go into effect in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do? Do you back this thing because it's it's claims to be. Uh, to have that same ideal, you know, the same ideology, or um, or do you see it for this manipulative construct by the Democratic Party to make people believe that the only answer to for them to, you know, get rid of their white guilt is to vote Democrat come November? Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's a, yeah. it's a really tough thing. And what is, what's the deal? Like, okay, so that's obviously uh, when it comes to the organization itself, many people wouldn't even think, you know, people that just casual news listeners, you know, just worker everyday squares, they just say black lives matter. Yeah, sure. Of course. You know, good luck to them. I hope they get, you know, blah, blah, blah. They don't see it as a group with an agenda. Right. But we do know it's it's a group and it's it's led by Democrats, democratic interests. So in yeah. this country we have the two party system. And we have other parties, sure, we could talk about this one, that one, but I mean the the small percentage that 
of even you know knowledge of of anyone you know you don't know those names just not in the radar but out of the democrats and the republicans are either side are either trustworthy in any way hell no <laughs> absolutely so, so what not. does that leave and, what does that, that leave and i also think that that should be a real talking point for the movement called black lives matter you know it, like in the, you know for the grassroots movement of it because if you really believe that there is there, there has been this establishment that's kept systemic racism, uh, you know, as, uh, like have like like they've had a firm grip on everything uh, that this country is uh, made of. Then you have to you can't just blame Republicans because Trump is in office now. You have to blame all of the Republican and all of the Democratic presidents and uh, administrations that have been in positions of power over the years and because they're the ones that have pushed all these, um, you know, uh, these racist problems onto this country. You know, they're the ones that have made sure that uh, black America doesn't have access to good education. They're the ones that have made sure uh, black America doesn't have access to even, even healthy food. You know, yeah. they're the ones that make sure that black America is overrun with illegal guns. And uh, and they're the ones that also shut down uh, any kind of musical artists like, let's say, Public Enemy. Right. Public Enemy was doing a lot of good for the black community, you know, and and then what happens? You get the switch at a certain point to gangster rap, you know, which probably did a lot of harm to the black community over the last couple of decades, mm. you know, because then yeah. all of a sudden there was this glorification of violence as opposed to, uh, you know, some kind of uplifting, enlightening kind of, uh, empowering message that, you know, groups like public enemy had. So I, I just think that the, the powers that be are the Republicans and the Democrats, and it should never be one or the other when you're talking about, uh, you know, breaking down the, you know, the establishment for being so racist in this way, you know? Oh, totally. But then what are we left with as people who are aware and a lot of times, we're, like we're, you're probably a progressive have, guy, but you, yeah. <laughs> one would think, so oh, he's a progressive guy. He must be a Democrat, but you uh, did enough of your own searching to realize that you don't really share a lot of beliefs. No, not at all. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, think about Democrats. Democrats are the ones who, uh, you know, LBJ is the guy who wanted the war in Vietnam. How many uh, poor black folk died in that war? You know? Yeah. Think about that. You know, was that fair to them? Was that like a, was that even a war that America should have fought? You know, it's, it's like, uh, those, you gotta, you can't just think, you know, well, I, I'm progressive, therefore, I, I think uh, along democratic lines. You can't think that way because Democrats have been just as uh, complicit in everything about America to this point. So there's no reason to put your trust in them now. Now, do you think there's any like individual politicians that may go under the flag of a Democrat or Republican that are trustworthy or uh, have the uh, good intentions in mind? Uh 
<laughs> I mean, I guess the closest you would come might be somebody like Bernie Sanders, you know, because he was such a kind of oddball character, um, you know, because he was, he wasn't for gun control, you know, things like that, that like the democratic party really wanted to push through. Um, um, yeah, it seemed kind of like he did the party switch just to get attention. So as yeah. an independent, he wasn't getting any love or any any notice, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, I think it is nuts that uh, Biden is running for <laughs> for office right now. That's nuts because <sighs> I mean, there there have been times where the guy could, can't even put together a sentence. You know, his thoughts. What do you are think the, the strategy together. is with with that? I don't know. It's, that's a, that's another one. That's another one where you it, you're just left scratching your head. You know, kind of like, you know, what are we going to do with the coronavirus? And you know, who's behind that? If if it is some kind of huge conspiracy and all that, um, it, that's a real uh, head scratcher. Yeah, I kind of feel that the you know the mainstream Democrats would love to have Biden, but would be very content with Trump rather than a Bernie Sanders type. So, yeah, you know. I, I guess just for, um, for industry, you know, and yeah. for, cause for like people, I hear a lot of people saying, Oh, the Democrats are so stupid. They'll have a shot with, with Bernie. And I'm thinking, I, I think the Democrats would rather have a Trump over a Bernie as uh, far as, you know, as, as far as the, uh, you know, I think fight. it depends on how wealthy they are, you know, because you know, yeah. all of the wealthy Democrats in the world, the corporate you know, Democrats, uh, the ones with, yeah, know. the corporate Democrats, uh, they're, they're the ones that wouldn't really benefit so much. If, if Bernie came in and really did start taxing the wealthy, the way he claimed to, you know, have planned to do, then, uh, they would suffer, you know, their, their income would suffer, their, their, uh, you know, dividends would suffer, you know, their whole like portfolio would suffer. Yeah. Possibly. It, it depends. Like who knows? Maybe Bernie's, uh, socialist America would actually work. Who knows? And maybe, maybe it could be like, you know, a great experiment, but, uh, we'll never know at this point. Yeah. Do, do you, um, do you have, like, is there someone you're willing to vote for or at this point? <laughs> I just, just I mean, uh, like for the last few elections, I've just voted for, you know, the, basically usually the Green Party. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never voted Democrat or Republican, even from the first time. The first time I ever voted, I voted for Ross Perot, not even because I uh, cared much for him or anything like that. I just wanted to have, you know, to create a third party in this in this country. Yeah. And. You know, it's been decades and decades that have gone by, and uh, there, we're not any closer to seeing it happen. And I don't know why so much of America uh, doesn't think that it's possible. Because look at the amount of people that came together for Black Lives Matter. If that, if there is a real grassroots movement to be anti-establishment, you know, yeah. let's create, let's make one of these third parties a real runner. Yeah. Why not? I think it just because it goes into the like the finances. And when you see the amount of money that these these two candidates pull in. Yeah, but how great would it be if a real grassroots movement It would be unbelievable. Over, you know? I see I see some it, people talk about Joe what's her name? Joe Jurgensen? 
Uh, she's running oh, for sure. president. She's like a third party. And, uh, you know, like her, her, as far as her, you know, her policies, I think you'd like a lot of her stuff, but she's just oh, yeah? so unpopular that it's, and, and the media is not mentioning, mentioning her. Well, and, and that's, that's another reason why the media is so, uh, you know, such a big master manipulator too. It's the fact that they do things in a way deliberately to shut down these other parties or their possibility of ever really gaining a foothold in American politics. Yeah. Yeah, it's key. The media is key. One, the only good thing you can see is uh, it's viewership. It's getting really unpopular. Uh, like uh, the viewership for you know the Fox, CNN, MSNBC, those cable news channels. It's going down, but right. maybe not soon enough, to be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they still seem to have a, a stranglehold on the, the American psyche. Oh, 100%. I, I never seen yeah. A country so divided like it not in my but, time and, anyway and, you know and you know ever since trump was elected i've, I've said that you know it, it's not because you, know, you know i think everything is uh decided beforehand nothing ever re, you know really comes down especially with this two-party system i think everything's decided beforehand it never comes down to the popular vote because even elections where the popular vote supposedly wins it still goes to the other guy so <laughs> um, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I just don't think that, uh, it's it, any of it is fair at all. And as far as Trump being elected, I think he was deliberately taken from reality TV so that we would have a reality TV star to create this idiocracy, you know, uh, the, like the white house, uh, being this like, you know, like, uh, shooting his mouth off type of character. Um, it, like we've never seen before, like actually having a guy in the White House doing this and yeah. and tweeting constantly and like just being com like a, not at all what you'd expect from anybody with like a like a level-headed politician. So, um, but like he's put there obviously as a divisive character, and, and he, he did the trick. And he totally did the trick, uh, yeah. and we are a completely divided country, and, uh, and now you have um, the pandemic, you know, everybody's in lockdown, and then you have the uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter movement happening at a time where everybody was just set to explode anyway, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I, I just think people are being manipulated. Yeah, and and it's all for this divisive, um, you know, plan against the American uh, people. Could America ever see another civil war? Do you think is that a possibility? Well, I don't think it would be a civil war, and like the way the last one was fought, I don't think because uh, it's it almost like a, it's it's a it's a country of three or four different other countries. You know, like, yeah. I know there, there's so there's so many different voices and like for example, um, you know, and, and that's one of the things I find so strange about uh, the people that that want such strict gun control to be put in place is that you know they think that only the police should have guns, but now they hate the police. You mm -hmm. know, yeah. like uh, <laughs> you know they th they had no problem with the militarization of the police that we've seen over the years. 
to the point that like any little police uh, activity involves like a SWAT team like storming into a, a building or anything like that. Now, all of a sudden, people are so anti-police. Meanwhile, it's like, yeah, haven't you seen this happening? You haven't seen the armed, like armored vehicles that uh, the police now have that they didn't have uh, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, this has all been in place for a while to militarize the police. And now everybody wants to defund the police. So yeah, that's, think, that's a really a touchy subject to defund the police. Because when, when you're talking about like the, the, the supposedly progressive minds in this country, then th there seems to be a real hypocrisy there because, uh, you know, okay, guns exist, you know, they're, they're out there. They're, uh, what are you going to do about them? You know, how are they going to, how are you going to make sure they don't fall into the right, the wrong hands? Right. So, uh, you know, it's like there's so many people that just want the police to have guns, but if you don't trust the police, then obviously it's better if you have guns, right? But, and if you're a progressive and a civil war happens and you don't have guns, then what, then what are you going to fight for? You know, who are you going to fight? Are you going to go out there and use your fists, you know? Yeah. So on, <laughs> on, a, on an Armand platform, there would be, uh, what would be like the main, the main key policies <laughs> as far as gun control? Is there any gun control you would like to see enacted or just keep well, it kind of as is? I mean, to be honest, you, you know, like with the background checks that are in place right now mm. and like the difficulty that the, the hoops you have to jump through to actually uh, legally have a gun. I think that's fine. I think that's that, that there's no problem with the system and the way it is. The, the fact that uh, makes guns such a threat to society is how easy it is to get them, you know, illegally without any background checks. That's the problem. And, yeah. and what's, what's funny about the whole issue is the fact that all of the cities that have the strictest gun control laws are the ones that have the highest murder rates and it's the easiest thing for teenagers and, you know, just whoever to get their hands on guns. So like, I don't understand why gun control is such an issue in this country when you have all this gun control in these certain areas and it's a complete failure. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, the way we are set up local areas or States, they could decide amongst themselves what sort of gun control laws they want to enact and they could do it. If it works, it works. Yeah. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But people are like fiending for like federal. They want federal across the board. But why would you yeah. do that when there's yeah. huge areas that aren't affected one way or another by guns, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, unfortunately, we, we live in a, a violent world. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that sometimes can make you sleep better at night. Is, is you know that you have like some lethal force at your fingertips. And we do so, live in, in a violent world, but doesn't America seem kind of like more violent for whatever reason? Yeah, and uh, you know, I would possibly agree with you know certain people who say that it all has to do with our our um, our media and how the media basically always wants to keep people frightened and and that kind of thing. Because I, you know, when you do cross the border into Canada, for example, and you turn on the news. All of a sudden, you realize, wow, the news like is it, it's so mellow, you know. They're not pushing any kind of like frightening stories. They're not 
always trying to make sure that people are, are hating on each other. They're, they're somehow like, they're not that way. So I think the media actually is kind of complicit in this as well. So in, you would go the, with the Donald Trump with the, his, uh, the, the media is the enemy of the people. The media has been the enemy of the people for a long time. And, you know, I think that like it, people like yourself and other people realize that. And I think mm -hmm. him saying that stuff was just a smart move. I don't think he, you know, one way or another, he just wants complete allegiance and loyalty from, you know, everyone. But saying that to people who are already skeptical for good reason is, right. is smart maneuvers on his part. Yeah, I think so. Because, um, you know, sometimes you do want the guy that uh, that almost doesn't belong in Washington to, yeah. to have a say in, in how the country's run just because you have such ill feelings towards that city and like what it's become and how, you know, the whole concept of drain the swamp, you know, like uh, you just think you look at it like this. It's just this big corrupt place where uh, and do we even own our own country anymore or does china own us or do the saudis own us you know like uh there are a lot of americans that would prefer to think that that americans would make up their own minds about the way this country's run and like actually take the power back so it was it was smart for trump's entire you know platform to include all of those disenfranchised americans do you think he'll win again um I think most likely he'll win again. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like it. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the way it's looking right now. Cause maybe mean, if something crazy happens during the debates and Biden just puts on a great show, which I can't imagine is possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, don't I mean, so. they're both really lousy public speakers. I think <laughs> Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. It's, but, <laughs> but I, I would imagine that Trump would have the most sound bites and the, the better one liners during a debate. Yeah, I think so too. And yeah. and you know, like as much as uh, as much as progressives um, do have a say in the media, you have that weird silent majority in America that's always going to go with whatever is the most conservative uh, plan. Yeah, you know, no matter how detrimental it is to themselves, like, and, and that's one of the things that I've always been astounded by uh, when I see who's voting Republican sometimes I'm like yeah. kind of astonished because the you could have like trailer park and yeah, like, like some guy who would not benefit one bit uh, at all from somebody who's going to go for big business, you know, in, in office as opposed to a more socialist ap approach that could actually help his life that, yeah. you know, the Joe Schmo plumber, you know, like in Kentucky, um, would benefit more from having like a Bernie Sanders in office, but there's no way he'd ever vote for him just because he considers himself a conservative and wants to vote that way no matter what. Well, you mentioned like socialists, and I, I, I noticed I think both sides of the media really did an incredible job on making that like a really scary word, you know. You think so? I think so. I think Fox and uh, even – even uh, once there was some light at the end of the tunnel for a guy like Bernie Sanders, you saw the CNN and MSNBC started kind of turning on him and questioning him and this and that and making socialism like 
now a social, you know, you call somebody a commie or socialist. That's like a new thing. Like that, you weren't doing that. Well, five you know, ten like, years ago, it's an insult to somebody. Yeah, it's it's weird because uh, nowadays you have all these people that like want to maybe rekindle the idea of communism, but that, I think that's it's already been proven just not to work. You know, yeah, that, those the, are like that's like it's got to be a small percentage of like just crazies. Right, young yeah. people kind of. <laughs> I don't know because there there are quite a few people that are are using that word as if it's a, like a viable uh, political system. Meanwhile, I, you know, you really think that in this day and age, the way people act towards each other, everybody like you know, you go on Instagram for example, and it's just like it's like a free for all of people just hurling insults, and it's just so. You know, you see how the, uh, divided the country is, and you see how bad people are towards their, each other. And, uh, you know, it, you see these people talking about communism, bringing communism back, but you really think that these people could do a better job than the, the brilliantly minded uh, Bolsheviks and yeah, the Soviets? Guys that wrote the book on that, that, they wrote the book on it, exactly. Like, these guys actually had the the leaders of, of the, the movement, like as they're, they're, they were mentors, you know what I mean? They're so close to the source of the, like the real source of it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when you talk about Russians, I don't, there's never anybody that can say the Russians are not brilliant, you know, like they're really intelligent people. So, um, what makes, uh, American, like complacent Americans think that they can, make communism work when the Soviets didn't, they weren't able to. Yeah. When nobody, I mean, using strict communism, it, it's never worked. You yeah, know, like exactly. if you say, well, look at China, China's not communist at this point. It's, it's not at all. Yeah. It's such a collage of different crazy things and whatever suits certain people, you know, is it's not a strict communist code anywhere because it's, it's unsustainable, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's just a, you know, a one party system that, will keep its power no matter what yeah that's 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 all it is it's not i don't understand how communism is involved with that country at all Nah, yeah it's just like it's part of the history i think and almost yeah. like little uh, little ceremonies that they do have a little remnants of the old the old ways but what i make kind of is like bernie sanders you know clearly calling himself a democratic socialist but really the you know the people against him and his movement just always doing their best to put him as a strict socialist, you know, right. it just, it turned into a real bad word for him and something like he'll never have a shot as long mm -hmm. as that tags attached to him. No mainstream yeah. person, but are there groups, small groups of people that want to see communism? Yeah, sure. But like <laughs> any, anybody who expects to, to win the big one with that attached to him, it just, I can't see it ever happening. You know, I think well, yeah, that word. yeah, it, it would definitely be a, a tough sell to, especially, um, you know, today's America, maybe, maybe a, a few decades down the line that the idea of socialism might ease a little bit as, um, it, but it depends. Let, let's see what happens to Europe because, you know, I think, uh, Europe is kind of like a socialist experiment right now, but the problem is, uh, how many of these countries are actually going to be um, basically like where the Middle East goes to have kids, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. At a certain point, all of these countries are, they're, they're, um, ethnically, their, their original populations are just going to be made more and more and more of a minority to the point that they won't have any say in the country. And we might actually start seeing some uh, Muslim governments in Europe. So if that's what happens when you, if you're socialist, then I doubt America would ever fall in line with that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. It seems like uh, Europe, they have that problem. A lot of, a lot of the countries, some countries, not so much, but like I see it in France. I could see that in like maybe two decades, three decades taking like a big turn for, for a certain style that, you know, it's completely different from the, the former government they have now, you know? Yeah. And, and possibly even different with, uh, you know, what, what religion you would associate the country with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I don't like Trump. I think he's a clown, but when you talk about border security, like what is there's, that's not a bad thing. Like, <laughs> well, and, and that's another thing about the media that I could bring up that pisses me off too, is the fact that everybody is so up in arms about, you know, kids in cages and blah, 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 that, you know, Trump is responsible for all this stuff. Meanwhile, it was, ha- it was happening even worse when Obama was in office. Obama was the guy who, that, who deported more, uh, more people in one year than any other president. Yeah. So, and it wasn't a mention. Yeah. But the media never even talked about it. It was never a problem until uh, you could pin it on Trump. Then everybody's up in arms about it. So, once again, you have the media do, playing its part in uh, exposing certain things about you know America at certain points. The just because points. it benefits, yeah, just because it benefits the uh, one certain party. So. Yeah. It's it's all to to me. It's very transparent, and that's and that's why uh, I unfortunately think that Black Lives Matter has been hijacked. You know. Yeah, I mean, to, probably to the majority of people walking around with signs and shirts, and even the ones who are going a step further and rioting and 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 spray painting BLM on the wall. It's a movement. And I bet mm-hmm. a lot of those people, even in the mix, aren't even aware of the ideology of the actual organization. No. Yeah, that's probably true. And, and it, it's a shame because a, a lot of people do have good intentions in uh, joining the protests and uh, yeah. uh, demanding change, but they're being manipulated, I think, politically. Yeah, at some point, I mean, it'll, like everything else, it'll die down and then I think what you're saying will be justified and people. I, I, I see a history. parallel, you know, like I, I could see a parallel between that and the armed forces because, you know, you play on people's emotions on how much they love their country, how much they want to fight for their country and all that kind of stuff. And then they put you into fight these wars so that corporate America could have more control over certain areas. And, you know, just basically go around destabilizing the world, which, you know, really, it, it's a shame that so many good people with good intentions are taken advantage of in that way, or just messed with in that way. Yeah, by 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 a really old trick too, like you said, playing the heartstrings, uh, yep. patriotism, Adam. You know, make the right movie at the right time, the Saving Private Ryan's, and yep, exactly. 
Yeah, well, I love that movie, though. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> and if I was probably 17, 18, I'd be ready to sign up. Send me somewhere. <laughs> but when you get a little smarter, you say, ah, I see what's going on. Yeah, especially the way things have been, you know, over, ever since the Cold War and, you know, ever since, like, after, once America became the world power that it did after uh, the Second World War, then everything kind of changed, I think. Yeah. To, to become this whole different animal where the CIA was going in, you know, and like taking governments down across the world. And, you know, uh, the more you find out about American foreign policy over the years, the more you realize America has never been the good guys, you know? And, uh, and then you have, um, all of these movements for, uh, you know, trying to get, things uh, trying to put things right with the indigenous people of this country um that have completely you know they actually had like a real genocide carried out against them you mm -hmm. know um they have been completely driven from their lands put into these faraway reservations that had nothing to do with their people their tribes all that kind of stuff so i mean the the country of america has never been some kind of like ethical like moral like upstanding place that you could look to for guidance you know like uh, you know i think uh the fact that uh there are americans that actually look at it that way is bizarre to me because it has america's never been that yeah now america's saying that would be like you know you saying that could cause a lot of uh not, not probably for the people that listen to this podcast, but other uh, under other circumstances, people would be very offended by what you're saying. Well, you know, I mean, I love America because America is like, uh, it's like a place where you have certain freedoms. You're supposed to have certain freedoms, right? Yeah. And just even having that possibility of having those freedoms is pretty damn good because when I was trying, you know, as a little kid, I, um, I was, you know, looking to leave Iran. My parents were looking to leave Iran because the Islamic, um, government had just been voted in and it wasn't good. I'm half American. My mom is American. And, uh, and so therefore I could leave and come to America to live. And I remember back when I was in high school, uh, you know, like the teacher asked the class, like, who out of this whole class would be willing to to um, stand up and salute the flag right now? And I thought to myself, hell yeah, I would, you know, because yeah. America gave me uh, the ability to come to like a, a nice country with, a, you know, good a good economy and like um, a nice standard of living, you know, and and had all of the possibility, uh, all the like the Constitution basically allows you so many uh, freedoms, you know. Uh, the, the things that have happened over the years, and you know, the government being what it's been, uh, they they've gone against their own word so often that it, ju it just becomes a harder and harder place to defend, as far as the morality goes as far as the, you know, like the, you know, what, what you can really, uh, what good it really brings to the world. Yeah, man, we're in a bad spot. 
We are in a horrible spot. We're in a horrible spot because, you know, uh, America goes around the world thinking that it should be the world's policeman because it has the, the, the best, the strongest military, but we're not doing any good. No, no good is coming from it. We're, we're basically going around causing more problems in uh, certain parts of the world than there were to begin with. Now, have you noticed, because you've been touring so long overseas, the, the sentiment of America has changed in the view of, of people in different countries? It's become, I guess, worse. It's become worse and worse over time. Like, especially with Trump in office, he, he's just so easy to ridicule, you know, uh, that he's just looked at like a clown and uh, he's looked at like this, you know, like a loud mouth and, you know, full of hot air and all this stuff. Yeah, so early on, I always noticed uh, people, they seem to like America and be more interested, you know, even not people at shows, just, you know, coming across people during normal travel and uh yeah. they were more complimentary to uh, america and interested and said nice things compared to the current times where it's almost like well oh, even america e even uh you know even if you go into the islamic world where traditionally there's been this like real uh you know anger towards the uh, towards america um even those people would say that they they love Americans, but they hate the government. And yeah. you know, it's it's a very understandable sentiment because I think because most countries in the world are basically the same thing, and it sucks because you want to think of yourself as a patriot, but um, if you hate your government, are you a patriot? Yeah, and if you, good question. And if you, you know. And, and most pla in most places that you travel to, everybody hates their own government. There's, there's no, there are hardly any countries in the world where you would think that the government really does a fantastic job. You I know, think they, I think the Canadians really seem to like their government, right? Do they? Kind of, I don't know. The ones I come across seem pretty content. They, they seem like pretty happy people. I would say yeah. that. You know, and, and maybe it, uh, maybe that speaks volumes. You know, just being able to. Uh, say that you're a happy country, you know, because uh, they, they, like Denmark always used to top the list of happiest countries yeah. in the world, you know, and, and but then you find out that, you know, every uh, Danish person that you know pays like 45% of their income goes to taxes. Mm. And it's so that there is like this giant safety net where nobody worries about not having a job the next day, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and that's like a real socialist type of approach to government, you know, which is nice America, place too, right? And it's a beautiful place. So yeah. like, but a, a lot of Americans have never been to those types of countries and never really seen it working to make people happy. So they, they would never understand it. Now you said you were from, uh, born in Syria. No, Iran, 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 my bad. Yeah. Uh, did you ever go back after you came here? No, I can't. I can't because uh, you never know what they they could pull because they would probably not want to recognize my American citizenship, even though mm. I've been American since birth. You know, yeah. Uh, and they would pro they could possibly detain me for whatever reason they wanted to, and they could uh, potentially th say that I was AWOL from the Iran Iraq War because. You know, that, that war ha started only a few months after I left, and I 
was 12 or 13. I was 12 when I left. So by the time the war was in like, you know, fully going, I was 13. But, you know, even at that age in the country of Iran, they were sending kids to clear landmines uh, for tanks. Holy crap. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it was like, it was this really crazy fucked up war that they fought against Iraq that ended up in a complete stalemate. You know, no, nothing changed about the border or anything. And there were massive losses on both sides. Uh, and you know, because of that, because, you know, the war is looked at as this giant tragedy, the government could say, hey, you weren't around here. You didn't fight for us, you know, and therefore we're, we could throw you in jail for as long as we want. You wow. know, and, you know, so there's no reason for me to risk uh, losing my my freedom for uh for for just the sentimental reason of going back to see iran wow that's crazy did it's it's a is it majority uh muslim over there yeah it's it's shia muslim it's uh now is there there any other religions in the mix or is it that much like it's like almost totally muslim almost totally muslim like uh you know, like you might have a little bit of Sunni Muslims mixed in here and there in certain parts of the country that are, you know, further away from the, you know, from the center of Tehran or, or Isfahan or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but those would be more, uh, you know, like uh, more like Arab blood uh, Iranians. You know, was, was your family Iranians with, what's that? Muslim? Was your family Muslim? No, actually, it's and this kind of ties into what we were talking about before. My grandfather over there actually was so enamored with the Bolshevik movement that he actually went to Moscow and spent a few years in Moscow. Wow! Uh, like just because he was so like uh, into it, he he really wanted to make uh, you know he was a communist basically, but like an early you know early on, like when the when it was actually. A, a huge movement and taking over uh, the country of Russia, for example. Yeah. Um, so my father and his brothers weren't brought up with any kind of religion because he was a communist. You know, because my grandfather was a communist. Did that cause then, any problems with like other members of the family? No, nah, not nah, like uh, yeah. I mean, we're on the Iranian side. Our, our family is really small, okay. so. Uh, you know, it wasn't like we had uh, a whole bunch of different relatives with different viewpoints coming in and arguing and getting into, you know, yeah. fights about that kind of stuff. So, uh, and it didn't seem like anybody else in the family was um, was religious in any way. And I, I even found out um, very recently, as a matter of fact, that my grandmother, uh, her, her being married to my grandfather over there was her second marriage. And her first husband was actually killed by the the Shah of Iran um, back at the time before Iran even had a central government. Mm. And the reason being, uh, he was the head of a tribe that was fighting against the forces of the central government, and he was tricked into coming in to... Uh, you know, work something out and like a negotiation and then he was just killed Holy and it turns shit. out. And, you know, so like let, I, maybe that had something to do with the fact that the family was like not very, I don't know, tied into 
what you think Iran was, you know, like if it's, yeah. if it's a uh, country, maybe it was because, uh, you know, my, my ancestors are kind of like living in the mountains and fighting against the central government. So, you know, maybe that has something to do with it as well. Always rebels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you turned it into sick of it all, which, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, lyrically, it's always like, uh, like politically based on a lot of stuff, a lot, a lot of tracks, right? There's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We definitely. try to work it then. Yeah. That's one of the things I always loved about the band was like, uh, for whatever reason, it seemed hardcore band straight away from like that sort of message. You know what I mean? I know. I know. It, it's a, it's a, you know what it is? I think we're just like, like old school guys that like look at hardcore as, uh, potentially having an effect uh you know a, a positive change uh even politically somehow because you know the first i remember the first matinee i ever went to uh was in 1983 and um the, even outside of the show at that point there were like political flyers being handed out mm. by by punks you know they're just punks like you know, passing them around and everybody was like interested and everybody, nobody thought it was like some kind of weird thing because back then it was, um, you know, you thought that you could actually make a difference with the, the, the message that the music had. So we've never kind of, we've never lost that. And I, in a way I don't want to lose it. I, I don't want to think that we're just going to, sing about some nonsense that's like in one ear out the other yeah you know, i think a lot of bands would like to do it but it currently there's just something to lose like the, yeah. way, the way people are reacting to an unpopular opinion nowadays is really really different than it was at one time like this the cancel culture kind of deal you know yeah it, it, that really bothers me it really bothers me yeah, like even the idea of playing a show right now is very unpopular amongst a lot of people in the scene that they see some people seem like they would turn on a band if they I would play a show right now if there was an offer and I could pull it off, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. I know that people would have stuff to say, but I don't give a fuck because say it to Walmart, don't say it to me, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, and and yeah, it's it's like um and then you even have the government telling people, well, you can't go to concerts, but protests are okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and this, uh, the spike wasn't from any of the protests somehow. It was from opening up too early. I right. Mean, right. If yeah, this thing is real, wouldn't it be from both? Like how, right. how could it not be like, let's just be logical. If it's real, yeah. it would have to be from both. Right. Like there's just no question, but if you want to follow your side blindly, then you got to yeah. say, "Oh no, no, they checked it out somehow." The uh, the protests yeah, had no effect. Somehow they know exactly where the source, you know, yeah. and it's it's from reopening. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm hardcore first. If there's a show, listen. If it's the the last day, let's play it. Like you know, if there's nuclear bombs in the air, let's let's play it. But <laughs> you can't right now. You just can't. You know. You're gonna you're gonna catch heat for any pip opinions that are off to the side, you know. Even just saying uh, this thing might be a fraud or might be, you know, they might be all wrong in their predictions of this virus. A lot of people will have something to say, but I mean, 
I don't know. You know, it's a possibility. Yeah, I know. And it's, uh, but I mean, it just seems so strange to me right now that they've changed the whole story of it to being cases as opposed to deaths. They're, because the deaths aren't sounding scary. There's not enough. The cases could sound scary because they're in the tens of thousands. But yeah. if you're going to say oh, there was 330 deaths yesterday, you'd be like, 330 deaths? I thought this yeah. thing was like a pandemic. Wait a minute. That's like, right. <laughs> you know, there's probably 333 yeah. drownings yesterday too. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the that's the narrative. Like that this is the high number, let's go with this. But yeah, one time the deaths were coming in if they were legit, they were, you know, it was it was a problem because in a couple months, even with those actions taken, social distancing, masks, there were a decent amount of deaths. The age of the deaths interesting and you know, like the average age of people dying from COVID were over the average age of life expectancy period. <laughs> right. So a lot of them would have died anyway. Yes. And it's like sad if you're related to the person. I'm not trying to sound like a, a rat, you know what I mean? But Right. Exactly. You don't want to be cold-hearted yeah. to say things like that. But you have to accept the truth that a lot of those deaths probably would have happened anyway. Yeah. And, and in, you know, when you consider what the flu normally does, I mean, uh, I haven't done the research. Like, uh, do do we lose uh, 130,000 people every year to the flu? We might. Sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, are, are we really in, this, uh, you know, can we really call this a pandemic? Well, let's say... What, Is it what are we like? If we're like four or five months into this and we're at a legit 130 and by the end of the year, if we hit 400,000, that's compared to a flu, it's way, way bigger than a flu. If, if, uh -huh. if all these things are legit, if the numbers are real, then right. yeah, because a, a serious flu would, would go into like 100,000. An average flu would be like 30, 40,000, which is crazy that we never even thought of that before this year. You know? Right. And, and that's, yeah. And that, you know, you see people, you know, certain people online talking about that, how like, wh where was your tuberculosis mask uh, yeah. last year? You know, like how come you're not wearing your tuberculosis mask? Yep. And, uh, you know, cause so many people die of TB every year, not, not so much in America, but in the rest of the world, Yeah. but the rest of the world operates w without lockdown procedures, without, you know, uh, sheltering in place and all that stuff. See, that's another so, thing that throws me off too, is that the rest of the world did this. Like uh, yeah. that, that made yeah. me second guess my normal. I'm normally very skeptical. I'm still skeptical of this, but when the rest of the world did it, and then when I heard like major sports are shutting their games down and billionaires are, are, you know, might potentially can lose money. Then I was like, mm -hmm. all right, maybe there's something to this. But yeah. then at this point in the game, after the bailouts and the money that was spent and consolidation of the wealth, now I see those billionaires really didn't get hit like I thought they would. They actually made money during this thing. Now it's kind of mm -hmm. back, back to square one. Is this, is this thing for real? I mean, I wear a mask. I go to a place because you got to. If you want to go to groceries, yeah. they say wear a mask. It's their store. I'll wear a mask, you know? Right. I'm not like one yeah, of these people that's going to sit in the middle of the store with no mask on crying. Like that's their, their store. <laughs> they, they own it. If they got, tell me right. to put one on or I can't go there, I got to either not go there or put one on. So, yep. 
and I do like an idea of a mask, to be honest, kind of like in general. I'm kind of like, like the Asians always did that. I always noticed in New York, you know? Well, you know, what's funny is the fact that, uh, you know, like, you know, I've kind of made myself used to this whole lifestyle already just because I'm a touring musician. Mm. Uh, you know, because over the years, you, you're, you become so conscious. Like, well, you know for a fact, like if you get sick when you're on tour, that's the worst. Yeah. Because your, your shows suffer, you feel horrible, you have no luxury in your life, you can't even, you know what I mean? Everything is so like... Uh, and everybody treats you like it, you have leprosy. It, it's tough living as it is with yeah. all the travel involved, you know? And then you throw being sick on top of that and then it's, it becomes like really unbearable. So I became very conscious years and years ago of putting my fingers to my face you know, uh, ever, you know, when I'm traveling or whatever. Um, yeah. but basically even like when I'm home, like if I go in on the subway and I hold the, the subway, uh, you know, like uh, if I'm a strap hanger on the subway, like, uh, I'll make sure not to do anything with that hand that's going to contaminate the rest of me, you know, for, yep. I, I became kind of like a germaphobe as it was. So I, I was uh, kind of prepared for this, uh, just from years of touring. Yeah. So for me, it's like not that big of a deal, but that's, and what I don't understand is like the whole, the whole, like the way you would, the, the transmission of this virus, it has to be like a, a good amount of close contact with, it, it's, it's not just, you know, like when I see people driving around in their car with the mask on, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. That's a little weird, right? Makes no, and I, when I see somebody walking down the street by themselves with a mask on, I'm like, why? Yeah. Why are you doing that? There's no point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the, you would have to have such close contact for like a sustained period of time to actually get the disease. So, like, it, I don't know. It, the, the, maybe people don't do the research into how viruses are transmitted from one person to the other. Maybe yeah. they just think, put on a mask no matter what, you know, and that's it. You know, like that's, that's the end of the, the rule. Yeah, this whole thing's all over. I remember early on, wearing a mask wouldn't help, they said. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, how is that even possible, wearing a mask? Why would a surgeon wear a mask? Of course, yeah. they definitely said that wearing a mask wouldn't help early on. And then they made it mandatory to wear a mask. So, I was, come on, man. What are you playing well, with? Well, there's a lot of um, – there. I've seen quite a few things online recently about uh, how you want to trust science because science does make mistakes and you they learn from those mistakes. So, therefore, like listen to the experts, even though the experts seem like they're like hypocrites at the front, from time to time. Yeah. So, just – but just always listen to the experts. So, who – who knows? Like, uh, may, if they have learned stuff along the way and changed their policies, maybe it does have something to do with that. But I don't know. I have a hard time. I just have a hard time with the fact that we're not seeing a massive death toll. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But I think the argument would be that you're not seeing it because of these measures. Because of the lockdown. Yeah. I understand that, but yeah. uh, I don't know if that's but, the real reason. I'm just saying that would be the the argument. But at the same time, if if you see uh, all of these cases and the deaths not being what 
you know, some, something really super alarming, mm-hmm. then, you know, I don't know. I think that we, uh, this is a, a reasonable explanation what might be going on if this is legit. We had this pandemic pop up on us, a new, a new virus. We didn't really even know, never mind a, a, a vaccine, we didn't even know a good treatment in the beginning. Now we're yep. at the level where we know good treatments. And so even less people are dying. So getting the, the virus, catching the virus and dealing with it. And if you do get real sick and you have to go into the hospital, they're, now they're, they're saying they're avoiding ventilators, where before it was like mandatory, throwing everybody on ventilators. And it seems like the treatment itself is becoming more adequate. And, and, and it's, it's actually leading to less deaths if this is all legit. Richard, let me ask you this. Yeah. Did did you see that um the short film called Plandemic? I that sounds familiar, but I don't know if I did. Oh, you didn't see it then. You didn't see uh, it was a very short-lived thing online. It was on uh-huh. YouTube for just like maybe a week before uh-huh. it got taken down. Right? It was uh this lady called uh, Judy Moskowitz, I believe, something like that. Um, and she used to work for Anthony Fauci uh, way back. Um, and there was something that happened between her and uh, Anthony Fauci a long, long time ago. Was that it something like papers put, were stolen or something like that? It, it put them at odds. It made okay. her want to take like legal action against Anthony Fauci and all. And so basically, you know, she, she made this movie about uh, – you know, what she thought was going on. And a lot of it wasn't even, it didn't really, she never said that like the coronavirus is not real. But what she was saying is that Anthony Fauci and uh, his research into coronaviruses created this whole problem because he was working on it in certain laboratories in the States. And at a certain point, it became too dangerous for uh, that kind of research to be, be happening on United States soil. So what happened was they up and moved the entire laboratory to Wuhan, China. Wow. And, and that he's been involved in this type of research for, you know, for so long and that somehow in Wuhan it, it was finally released. And mm. so, and, and that the reason, and the, the reason I'm bringing it up is the fact that like it was taken down in a way that was so sudden and with such, you know, like it, it was like so important for the powers to be to remove this lady's uh, exposing Anthony Fauci for things that he's done in the past. Oh, and, and, you know, she was actually more upset about uh, his treatment of HIV and AIDS back in like the 80s and, and early 90s because she was saying that he was involved in the, the cover-up or, or at least the, the delay of t- the, the amount of time that it took for them to introduce the actual cocktail that keeps people alive now when they have HIV as opposed to getting full-blown AIDS. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... Like they, him, and there was another man mentioned in it as well. But like those two uh, were like uh, the the scientists involved, um, you know, that were the the people that kept that cocktail away from so many people. So you have 
Africa with suffering from so much AIDS and so many millions of people dying. And she said that like, uh, he, you could actually pin all those deaths on Anthony Fauci and this other dude, uh, just because, you know, so, so she was really exposing Anthony Fauci more than saying that coronavirus wasn't real. Yeah. No, I I don't think I did see that. And and that's, that's basically what she was doing. So like, it it wasn't so much a movie about like, don't believe that coronavirus is, you know, is real. It's, it's some bullshit, you know, because like, I think the title of the movie kind of took away some of the validity of what she was saying, the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, it, it probably would have been better for it, you know, it to have had a different title. Um, because you know everybody just thinks they want to like shut down the kooks like don't listen to the kooks they're conspiracy nuts you know meanwhile all she was doing was talking about the history of this this guy that's supposed to be the the foremost expert on communicable diseases in this country you know yeah i always find it odd with fauci because he uh i mean i only know of him as probably 95 percent only know of him is because Trump brought him up on stage and put him out in front of the mic, but now it's become right. become like they're on separate sides. Yeah. So when I'm talking, when I'm dealing with like Trump supporters and they're going crazy on Fauci, I'm like, yo, this is your boy. This is like, like Trump could have shut him down at, at any time or just not even brought him to the front. If he was this, you know, that's why I don't trust either of these dudes. Yeah, know? I know. I know. It's like, what is going but, on here? Like you don't but, like what but, he's saying or you do like what he's saying. I know. And that's, that's an interesting aspect of this whole thing is the fact that like this movie came out and it was basically just a, it was like a big smear on, on Fauci and they were, and the entire media and, and YouTube and everybody just took this thing off the internet. Mm. So it's not, it's not not that it's not on YouTube. It's not on the internet. It's just like, you can't find it. It's completely censored. It's, it's pure censorship. It's like, and that's, you know, that's uh, an unfortunate thing about America is the fact that like you are supposed to have freedom of speech, but you got this cancel culture going on and you have full on media and internet censorship going on. Yeah. You know, that is a shame, but like, what would you do though, if we know something to be really detrimental and it's completely false and if people believe something it can be really bad. Like what, I'm not saying that this, she's not legit. I'm not, I don't even know the deal with her, but I'm saying, let's say it is something that someone puts out there intentionally to destroy something, hoping mm-hmm. to mislead people. Should there be some sort of group that has the right to determine to take things down? Well, I don't, I don't really see too much of a benefit from that. Like, uh, you know, like, uh, I kind of like the idea of the internet being almost like a free for all. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like chaos. I like craziness. That's why I like. I even like the riots and the looting. Of course, (laughs) I'd be eating my own words if it happened to my property, but I'm uh, right. Yeah. The the spirit of protest that we saw in people was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hardcore dude. So when people get crazy yeah. enough to do that, I'm like, yeah, that's that's good. Of course, people are taking advantage of and just, you know, could care less about the issue and just taking, you know, oh, I'm going to steal this, steal that. Right. But yeah. I did like it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the looting is harder to defend than the 
the protesting. Yeah, there was some looting that is not even, it wasn't related to any cause. It was just, you know, it was opportunism. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, uh, my girl works in Chicago and she has, she's oversees a bunch of stores and she was out here during, during the riots and we were watching live cause there's cameras. She has access to these she'll stores on her computer. We were watching her stores get looted live and uh-huh. it was like 30 people kick the door open, uh-huh. run through the place, just oh, God. ball chilling, <laughs> walking in, you know, lady walking in, holding a baby. She had a baby. Really? Yeah. Like it was like, they didn't. And you could tell like, there was like, yo, things are crazy. Let's go. Let's go have some fun. Let's get. It was probably a pretty dangerous place to take a baby. <laughs> yes, you should. And there was plenty of little kids, but one lady actually had like a baby, like holding. Yeah, a, a, yeah it was wild. I mean, people are like breaking into things and smashing windows, and you know, you know, I just can't yeah. see you that sh- that being safe. You should. You should. She should have brought the baby. There's no doubt. <laughs> I'm just saying, like you know, like uh, it's there's you know. If you're burning down a police headquarters, I kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sorry to the cops out there. I kind of like that. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And if, if, you, if you're willing to do it, you got to also be willing to get caught and pay the consequences. Right. I'm not saying let these guys out. They didn't do nothing. Like, yeah, if you're going to break stuff, you, you could get in trouble, no doubt. But if you're willing to do that, I kind of I kind of appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's always like the the anti-establishment part of us that likes to see things like that happen. Yeah, that's that's what it is. But man, these are crazy times, Armand. And uh, they really, they, I, and you know, the, the fact that we can we can talk about it for so long and still not have come to any conclusions is just means that that it sure is one of the most crazy times that probably has ever been. Uh, yeah, if you like. The days before 9-11, if you mentioned that that could happen mm-hmm. on American soil and uh, the outcome afterwards would happen as it did happen, I would say you're crazy. And the right. days before this happened, if you said that this could happen worldwide, <laughs> everybody, every government would be willing to shut down and tell people this, that, and the other thing, I would be like, nah, I don't think it, people, it would work like that. And I don't even think people would stay home. I think people, and I'd be totally wrong how this all planned out, like, you know, played out. It's. Yeah, I know it's, it's a, it's a nutty time and it, it almost goes against, uh, you know, normal kind of, uh, like human rationale. Completely. You know, cause, because, the, you know, we're trying to make sense of it and we just can't. Yeah. And we, we want to be able to say, oh, the authority that knows best is steering us in the right direction. We appreciate this. Let's help out. But yeah, we just, I mean, and, I can't get my head around that. And then you also got a question, like if, you know, the, the virus being released in China at first, and then their death toll is so small compared to ours, they're, they were able to like contain it in a way. Like, I, I just don't understand why a, densely populated country like China wouldn't have the highest death toll if it originated there and it was yeah. it was going crazy for a couple of months over there as opposed to America where it took a little while and then now we're the country with the highest mortality rate. I mean, could it be China lies about the, the toll and the numbers? Oh, yeah, that's always the possibility. Yeah. I think with China, it's almost like you could never get a straight story. 
Yeah, that's probably true. And they probably have good <laughs> reason not to give us the straight story, you know? Yeah, because they treat their people like dirt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, we, we all know the stories of, of China. So it could just be that simple that they're they're bullshitting and they had a because you know you did you hear the story about the cell phones and all the accounts that were inactive in the weeks after this virus they're saying like millions of cell phones were deactivated in china oh no yeah so there's that's what some people were saying i i I, it seemed like legit source somebody argued and said that there was a new method of of uh keeping track that that's why it appeared that these millions of cell phone services stopped, but other people were saying, no, it's because they're dead. Like, you know, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> it could be yeah, very, but, very well. Be. Yeah. China's not going to tell us, but yo, Armin, I appreciate it, man. Uh, yo, thank you. And hopefully we get to do something again soon. Right. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. Well, yo, we'll get up anyway to get some of this pizza. Cause like I told you, I was at Nino's place. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! It looks yeah. amazing. Yeah, and it was yo. It, walk in his kitchen. He's showing you everything. I make the sauce right here. Here's it on the stove right now, mixing it right here. And in Brooklyn, and he lives in Brooklyn. Yeah, and it's in his house. It's in his house because he's just like my places are all like half shut down, just doing takeout. We got people working. Where, where them, does so. this guy usually work? Uh, his places are called. He has. One in, in Manhattan called Williamsburg Pizza, and then I think two oh. in Brooklyn called Williamsburg Pizza. Oh, okay. And then yeah, yeah. He, and he I've, also I've does. Known, you you know always really backed them, yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I've never actually tried the stuff. I never tried the pizza there, but um, I remember you talking about Williamsburg Pizza and talking it up quite a bit. So, and this like guy goes those- to Vegas and he's he wins Pizza Man of the Year. Year wow. after year, yeah, at the big convention with those big names, he was on that show Chopped, where he went against really? other pizza makers. He won that. Yeah, wow, he's, he's a hardcore dude. Yeah, wow, I gotta meet this guy. Yeah, and he's he's nutty, you know, little little tiny like Italian guy with the worst accent, and, uh-huh. uh, but, a hard, <laughs> but a hardcore dude, you know. But yeah, he he's like awesome. so into it. He was telling me about the gluten. What's the difference? He was, uh-huh. And it just you know great pizza. But we'll get up. We'll get out there. I'll hit you guys. So up. yeah, let's let's uh let's get the pizza thread to uh you know spend the day in Brooklyn. Yeah, I'm down, man. But you know, we do have to hit up Jersey at some point. We do have to do that on Yeah, there's that, a uh, Santillo. Yeah. <laughs> so Jersey got some spots. Jersey got some I know, spots. I know, I I've still never been to Star Tavern, so Star Tavern and a King Kinsley's, I think. Oh Kinsley's, Kinsley's is, I've been to. That's similar that's a, to Star's Tavern. You like Kinsley's? Um, it was okay. It wasn't anything that blew me away. Yeah, I'm not sure. You you might like Star, but I don't. It's not going to be like. I don't it think looks, they're going to. It it is good, but it's not going to compete with the spot that you love already. We know that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Peppy. Yeah, those look yeah. incredible. I still never tried that. You still never had Peppy. You got to uh, try it. I know. Man. It looks it looks great. Come to Yonkers. Anytime. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang out with uh, you know Luke and I will meet you meet you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hit up Luke. We'll figure something out. Hell All right, buddy. Do your thing. I appreciate it. All right, Richie. Thank you very much. All Talk right, to bye you bye. soon, man. Take it easy. Bye. Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Post America podcast will always be there for you.
don't forget that. Tune in next time for more fun with the boys. Until then, get your fucking ass out of here before I give you a smack, motherfucker! Who the fuck you think you in? This is post-America! You ain't shit, motherfucker!